This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Worlds of Samsara. And the author is James Heron. And James joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, James. Hello. Good to have you with us. This is certainly the kind of story that, like everyone who hears about it, says it needs to be on the big screen. And I think everyone will understand why we're saying that. Let me read a little bit what you have written just to kind of set the stage in general, and then we'll talk about the details of this really interesting, uh, very different, unique kind of uh, novel. Uh, You say, a self-centered man who loses his seven-year-old daughter learns to become a better person through his sojourns in parallel worlds. So this is different, parallel worlds and... uh, of course, he feels a lot of guilt, too, after losing his daughter, and he he just wants to reach her, doesn't he? Yes, um, and he starts out as being not a great person. He's a womanizer, and he's divorced from his wife, and he's interested only in making money, you know. And uh, the loss of his daughter really throws a shock to him, and he's in terrible uh, state of grief, and... Um, one day he tries to induce an out-of-body experience in order to connect with her. And then something goes wrong, and he ends up going from one parallel world to another, to another, to another. And that's the basic plot of the story. Now, this comes out of uh, a religious view of, of this kind of parallel journey, or is it just something totally fictional? Um, it is a spiritual uh, story uh, as well, because... Um, when he first loses his daughter, he curses God and he's angry at God. And he has a pastor who tries to offer him comfort. And um, the pastor is a very good, decent character in the book. And um, he learns to uh, work through his grief by reaching out to other people. And he learns to be generous with other people. And um, in one world, he even gets to have a conversation with Jesus. Why did you take this approach? What was the motivation behind the story? Well, what happened was I was extremely close to my mother, and um, we did everything together. We traveled together on vacations. We went to movies and plays and restaurants together. We were so close, and when she passed away, she passed away in 2003, uh, it it just hurt so much, and it was unbearable. And, um, you know, while I'm not suicidal by any means, I just, didn't want to go on, you know. And then some years later, there was an image of uh, the seven-year-old girl uh, in my mind, and who appeared to me in my mind, I, and she's a product of my imagination. I don't know how she came to me, but I found out that when I actually was crying for this fictional person, uh, I, the tears were healing me. So I wanted to pursue this as a story. And then also, um, I was very concerned with the direction and the mess that our society is in. As you know, we're 
in a mess right now. And uh, when I wrote it in 2010, we were in a big mess. So I decided to explore our various institutions in our country and use that and blow it up into its own parallel world so that I could shed light on what's happening in our own society. Who would you say would enjoy this book the most? Uh, I mean, he's a chauvinist. It doesn't seem like women will like it. Um, well, it will, appeals to, it will appeal to women because he transforms as a person, just like Ebenezer Scrooge changes from a miser to a generous man. Um, he will appeal to women because he's very in so much pain and so vulnerable that, uh, because of his loss that you want to take the journey with him. And he learns how to become a better person. You know, he improves in his relationship with women. Uh, he becomes more generous, more giving. And then he finds his true calling at the end of the novel, which is not about making money. Now, Maria, his wife, mm-hmm. what would you, how would you describe her? Um, I would describe her as being more mature than he is. And I would describe her... Uh, as still caring about him, even though they're no longer together. And in one scene, uh, when he comes back to his own world in, uh, in, the, in chapter four, and this is a twist, uh, she, she tells him that she doesn't hold him responsible for her death. And he's not able to accept that, but the point is she, you know, she is, you know, willing to do that. So she is a good person. Although there is a surprise revelation at the end, which I don't want to give away about her. Sure. Well, and then there's Valeska? Yes. She's an African-American woman, and um, she's the one that causes him to change the most as a person. If I had to um, play psychological word association game, I would, and you said Valeska, I would say Catalyst because she's the one that gives him the big hard kick in the behind that he needs to becoming a better person. And in the first world, uh, it's a world controlled by lust, and it's a world where they have a relationship based in lust, and it's, uh, it has very severe repercussions for the men of this world. He's threatened actually with the loss of his manhood in a court of law when she sues and takes him to court, you know, for not having a permanent relationship with her. And then in the next world, uh, they, they, they meet again and they live together. And he genuinely loves her. And he's the one who wants to be with her permanently. And she says, well, wait a minute. Let's just think about this a little bit. And then in another world, um, she's an uh, actress. And, and they are actors in a, in a, in a um, situation comedy in a world that's a retro 1960s world. And then in the fourth world where he encounters her, she's a 700-pound porn star. And to be honest, in that world, when he encounters her, she's in the hospital and dying. And it's where they have their most spiritual relationship. And she's able to recall all their parallel world lives, you know, and they have a conversation about that before she dies. Now, even though he has lost his seven-year-old daughter, she ends up being some kind of a spiritual guide for him? Yeah, the, this is the seven-year-old daughter or Valeska? Uh, the seven-year-old daughter. Oh, yes. She comes to him in dreams and uh, things like that, yes. So, and, she, and, and she says things that are cryptic that drop little hints and clues as to where the story is going. So she helps him get from one world to the other. 
Uh, no, he, she has no control over the worlds that he goes to. Um, he cannot control that. He just goes from one world to another. He does see his, his um, parallel world hopping as a disease, and he, instead of seeking help from an allopathic doctor, because what is the good in that? Because that would take years to discover a cure if that were a disease, and he would be gone in so many from one world to another to another to another. So what the what is the use in that? So he seeks an alternative healer, and she teaches him yoga breathing exercises. And it's through that that he's able to assume a little more control, not complete control, over his world hopping. And then at the last world, he's a, he's in a place where um, he he's his last world, and he doesn't leave that world. Now, you have some uh, very strong issues uh, throughout the book. Uh, starts out with your this issue that's, I guess, uh, something that really troubled you, racism. Well, it didn't. It doesn't trouble me too much, but um, it it it, um, it just uh, what I'm trying to say is that we have, we're not a colorblind society. We're a society that still has uh, issues of race and racism. So, um, in the retro 1960s world, there are characters that uh, give. Um, Archie Bunker-like views about race, and uh, in that world, African Americans are held back, and, and uh, it's sort of before the civil rights movement. So it's a world that's stuck in the past. And then in another world, um, I have fun with political correctness, where in one world, the term of the term African American is a racial slur, and the hero didn't know that when he said the term. Hmm. I work with those, those ideas. And your book uh, has a lot of, as you put it, bathroom humor, bathroom language. <laughs> yes. Um, because as somber as the idea is of a man losing his daughter, it has to be balanced by humor. And um, in dealing with these different societies, which reflect our own dysfunctional society, you have to have humor. You just have to, to to get around things. Uh, the bathroom humor is mostly in a world that's dominated by fast food. Uh, in the fast food world, it's a 5,000 calorie diet. And in order for this to work, the food has to go through the body at a much quicker metabolism. And so um, there are propriety herbs that make one go to the bathroom much more often. And uh, as a result, things get pretty noisy. And so a character before you, you know, evacuating has to give a courtesy shout uh, to alert people in the stalls next to him. <laughs> and the hero doesn't know that, so he's cited by a police officer. And he's given a ticket, he has to show up <laughs> in court, pay a fine, then he has to register an original courtesy shout with the federal government. And there's another fee for that. And then he has to attend what is called bowel management class. And okay. if you've ever been to traffic school, it's modeled after traffic school. I guess that's this uh, Illuminati-type elite that controls the society. Well, that's in Chapter 9. But um, in that world, there's a, it's a world where um, there are three classes of people. Uh, there is one group that I call the sleepers. They have their eyes closed all the time. And they know they don't know anything that's going on, so they have regular menial jobs and are only concerned with day-to-day -day 
existence. Then there are those who are called the half-awakes, and their eyes are half-open, and they're in the professional fields like doctors, lawyers, um, things like that, business leaders, but they're not the elite, and the elite are the heads of corporations, uh, people in high political power, and they have their eyes open all the way, and they have everything open to them. And the hero in that world... Um, interestingly enough, uh, has his, he appears in that world with his eyes open to him, and he can have anything he wants. And in one one sequence, you know, where he, at the beginning of the book he starts out as a womanizer, he goes to a hotel room and the phone is ringing off the hook because all the Hollywood A-list and B-list actresses find out his, that his status is an elite and they want to go to bed with him. And he rejects all that. He says... Uh, you know, it's like ashes in my mouth. And all he wants is really his daughter back, and that's the one thing he wants and can't have. So he's, he's also reached a new state of maturity where um, the things are what you call samsara or illusion. He realizes that's just illusion. And you point out some, well, at least you're making a comment about religion, about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Tell us about that. Okay, well, there's a law, there's a, there's, he, he, he lands in a world where there's, uh, people who, uh, who, a mob that he encounters that runs after him and almost stones him to death, and that's because he's wearing a pair of blue jeans or what they call the devil's pants. So he's inducted into a religious order, which I call the ligare. And the word religion comes from the word ligari, which means to bind. And the reason I made it a fictitious religion is so that we can laugh at, you know, religion's intolerance and, and uh, adherence to ritual as opposed to true spirituality without demonizing any particular religion. So um, this, the hero reluctantly converts to that religion and... Um, I don't know if I should go further with the bathroom humor or I should stop. <laughs> well, the book mixes, uh, as you put it, deep tragedy and grief with dark and also whimsical humor. But yeah. there is a real dark side of, of as you point out here uh, in Chapter 12, where the majority of the members of society commit incest. Whoa, goodness. Yes. Um, the, the world is a world that talks about family values, family fun, and yet, that world, uh, the majority of the population commit incest. And I cannot talk any more about it simply because there's a surprise revelation that um, is in that chapter, and I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to give away. Sure. Well, uh, it's that kind of a twist and turn novel. It's uh, You never know what world you're going to end up in, I guess, right? Yes. Yes. And there's also a twist and turn in the fact that the last world he he ends up on is not our own world. I bring it back to our own world in chapter four, and then he has a dream where his deceased daughter says, "Daddy, you're not home," and he wonders what does she mean by that. And then he takes a walk around the, in Culver City, and and then he finds himself in another world. So there are two little twists, two twists in the book, and. That's all I want to say about that. Sure, sure. So we've got uh, oh, we've got different themes: uh, how to move beyond grief, the power of forgiveness, satirizing social institutions, evolving male-female relationships, humor in stark situations. I mean, it's got a little bit of everything. Uh, and 
keeps you uh, right on the edge of the worlds of samsara. And James Heron is the author. James, tell us how to get your book. Um, you can, it's everywhere on the Internet. Uh, you can get it at iUniverse.com or you can go to um, Amazon.com. And it's also available as an ebook. So uh, um, I think Diesel is a site that also carries it. Well, thank you, James, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Okay, thank you very much for your interview. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intracastle and sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Donna is a charismatic market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intracasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Evermore. People have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl, the inspiration for the movie Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Mickey and Natica, an adventure across time and space. And the author is Jenna Lindsay, and Jenna joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jenna. Hi, Steve. This is another of your great imaginative works, and we're looking forward to learning more about Mickey and Natica. Let me read a couple of things you've written. You say, after inheriting his uncle's Jaguar, Mickey heads for his beach house, unaware that he is special agent Natica's next assignment. When Natica sends Mickey's car hurtling over a cliff, he joins her in chasing a space creature 300 years in the future. Well, of course, this is about as big as your imagination, so I'm sure this is going to be a real adventure. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It was, it was great fun. Well, how did you come up with this? 
What's what's the genesis of this book? Well, I'm a bit of an insomniac, and uh, so prowling around the house late at night, I'll often look out at the night sky, and I thought, uh, what constellation can I identify? There's not very many. I, I saw Orion's belt, and I just thought, what is beyond that, and how would I get there? Um, perhaps someplace where it was more conducive to a peaceful night's sleep. And um, I, I was also in the back of my mind at the time, I was very tired of turning on the television and finding science fiction that was dark and violent and unhappy. And I'd, sometimes I, it was well written and I'd be watching the story, but was probably contributing to my being up late at night, couldn't sleep. And I wanted science fiction that was witty and light and fun, and I really wanted to know what was beyond Orion's belt. And I liked the genre of science fiction, so I, I decided to write, to write it for myself. And I did, and that's Mickey and Madica. Well, and as you point out, uh, you know, it's entertaining, full of humor, and your book received the editor's choice. Yes, it did. I'm, I'm really pleased. Well, congratulations. Now, your two central characters, obviously Mickey and Natika, now yes. they're both strong, and yes. they're really good at working as a team. Yes. So they're, was, we're, we're not competing with each other here. No, that was really important to me. Um, also, it gave me an opportunity to address a pet peeve of mine, which is so often a story will uh, hinge on will they have a romance or won't they? And I wanted these two people coming from different backgrounds to have instant attraction and not waste a lot of time dithering about it. And I also wanted them to be equal um, intellectually and to be able to experience this extraordinary adventure together and not have one rescuing the other and one completely dependent on the other. Instead, they're equally taking part in the adventure together. Now, where is Natika from? Natika is from, from our point of view here on Earth. She's 300 years in Earth's future from a planet called Katia. And she is a professional time traveler. Mickey refers to her as something else. <laughs> Not not rudely calls her a time traveling zookeeper. She's generally her profession is to go back in time and rescue endangered and extinct species. So yep. she's chosen to rescue Mickey, who would otherwise have died in a car accident, because he has a special ability, and that they need him to help with them uh, in the future. 300 years in the future. Now, help us understand this, this power he has, telekinesis. Telekinesis is just a general uh, description would be the ability to move objects with the power of your mind. And why is that so important? Because the space creature that uh, they end up chasing after, that Matica, as a conservationist, uh, wants unharmed, uh, eats 
energy, energy produced by weapons or uh, laser nets or anything technological, whereas Mickey's energy uh, comes from uh, within his psyche, within his his uh, magnetic field of his body, and uh, the creature cannot absorb it. So basically, as Mickey himself says, you just want me to go and give this space creature a big psychic push, and and Manica says yes. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very simple, but they they wind up having a lot of complications, a lot of impediments as they try to do something that one would think, oh well, we'll just jump into our spaceship and off we go and give it a big push, and back it goes to where it belongs. So we're going to learn about planet-eating monsters? <laughs> well, Mickey's exaggerating. He's oh, okay. Exaggeration. <laughs> but we are going to encounter some rather uh, strange, I don't know what to call them. Well, of course, we're, we've got a bunch of aliens here, right? Yes, we have pesky aliens, uh, zombies, a nefarious thief. Uh, megalomaniac, slave traders, assorted bombs, and a couple of bombshells. Now, when you have some, when you have an adventure like this, a science fiction adventure, it's action packed, and of course you have romance. But how do you get humor into that? I mean, how do you weave that into such? It sounds like a pretty serious adventure. Well, my my second book was suspenseful and dark and I I thought that no matter how important something is within certain circumstances within certain parameters you you must keep your sense of humor and and find something to make the best of and so with Mickey and Nanika I I just kind of encourage them to, look, there's nothing you can do about it. You may as well just go for it, enjoy yourselves, and make the best of, of what could be a bad situation. See how it goes. See if you can come up with something that's uh, going to be fun and uh, enjoy. And they, they certainly did that. Um, to keep your sense of humor is a, a really important thing with me. 2011 was uh, a dark year, and 2012 is is definitely, especially with Mickey and Matica turning out better. So I would I would run across, say the the nefarious thief, and I would think, well, let's go to the edge, and instead of going uh, to the dark side of evil, somewhere between the dark darkest evil, really into horror. There's a little precipice where you teeter, and it, you, there is a humor, and that's what I, I strive to, to find and, and stay within. Who is your favorite character in the book? Well, um, my favorite character was my mother's favorite character. His name is Tally, and we meet up with him. I, I don't even recall the exact chapter. But he's he's very key to the to the story. He's also um, someone from Earth. 
a little bit ahead of Mickey's time. He'd been uh, kidnapped accidentally, uh, trapped by slave traders, and he and Mickey meet up, and he's a professional gambler and uh, a bit of a pickpocket, and he's, he's very funny, and so every opportunity I got, I'd, I'd try to say, okay, does Tally have any place in this particular scene? And as the story developed, it turned out that Tally was really essential, and I enjoyed that a great deal. I'm pausing here. One of your themes, seeing the positive in the negative. Now, why is that important in the book? At the time, I was experiencing what I call reality uh, in big leaps and bounds every time I would step outside the sanctuary of my study where I write, there would be something unpleasant, grounded viciously in reality that I had to pay attention to. Consequently, Mickey and Natika being light and fun um, were delayed repeatedly and I would write them in intervals and, and they remained an unfinished manuscript for a very long time, which is, was not my previous choice to write. Uh, that if I was experiencing something dark, I couldn't go in and, and write something light. I had to expunge it from myself first. And um, I think I've answered your question, but I think I may have wandered off topic this time as <laughs> Now, you've had to be resilient. You've, you've yeah. had a very challenging accident that uh, uh, left you with some great challenges, and your, your characters sound like the same. Yes, I I didn't, often when I'm writing, I don't recognize it until I go back and read it uh, and say, wow, I would have said just that thing, or I, that's what I would have liked to have done. And so I think that I extrapolate the best parts of my personality and also what I would like to be and and encourage my characters to use that and to um, and create opportunities for them to give examples of how we can go experience something very dark and negative and yet come out feeling positive and hopeful and and still have that sense of humor. Everybody loses it at certain points, but we we must find it again and and it's there it's there waiting for us beyond whatever dark thing that we've had to go through. And uh, so I, I, I would be so relieved to get back into my study and I would just read back a chapter and say, oh, okay, I think we're going to do this. And they'd say, no, sorry, we're already three chapters ahead of you. <laughs> and I used to catch up with them. And I found that uh, with Mickey and Natika, you, you really have to keep up with them. They're, they're go, go, go all the time, right up to the last sentence. So the story is very fast-paced, like today's working world. Yes, it is. Yes. And I, I find um, when people ask me, uh, 
what do you write? And I tell them I write fantasy and science fiction. They, oh, I don't read, or I don't read that. And I think that's really a shame because they either have preconceived ideas or um, they, they, especially when they say they don't read, well, of course they read. They're, you know, if we wanted to take them literally. But I think that what they're really saying is they've forgotten how to relax because out there in the real world, it it is fast-paced and there's a lot of stress and a lot of tension. And um, as as technology seems almost to take over day-to-day living, it's so easy, or seems to be easy. We forget as humans that we need fresh air and we need um, a good night's sleep. <laughs> and we need pleasant, happy thoughts in our head, uh, not just solving a mathematical problem or uh, making sure that we um, have earned enough air miles or whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish that we, we have put into a place of importance. when. How about just making sure that we keep that coffee date with our best friend or that we send a card to acknowledge someone's birthday and maintain the human relationships that all of us need. We just forget about it. We get so, we get so busy with things that are actually more minor. We give them bigger importance. And I tried with Mickey and Natika again to encourage them to put a lot of importance on this wonderful um, love at first sight that you're both experiencing and, you know, work as a team together and, and actually as they go along in their adventure, a uh, friend of um, Natika's uh, helps them, uh, two friends of Natika's help them, and Tally, a uh, new friend, becomes a friend of Mickey's and he ends up helping and they're they're all in it together, and it's ultimately you realize that they're not just out to rescue the shark, that they are in fact doing what we would all like to put on a superhero cape to do and save the universe. So I thought it was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we find out about your website and how we can get your book, what kind of, what kind of a hat are you wearing right now? <laughs> <laughs> Fedora, of course. Of course. You like just hats. Just like wears. You like it. She wears fedora. She made a special trip back in time <laughs> to get a French coat and a fedora. So she always wanted to be a secret agent. There you go. Secret agent Jenna. All right. <laughs> All right, Jenna. Well, tell us how to get your book, Mickey and Natica, An Adventure Across Time and Space. You can get Mickey and Natica uh, online at iUniverse and Barnes and & Noble and Amazon. And in Canada, you can get it online or through Chapters, uh, Chapters Indigo and Amazon.com.ca. And you can also get it on your website. Um, you can, my website will hook you up with Facebook, my Facebook pages and a whole bunch of other sites that will direct you to okay. where you can online at and, this time. And what is your website? My website is jennalindsay.com authorsexpress.com and in uh, Jenna Lindsay, all one word Authors Express, all one word but the first E in the word express is omitted so it's Authors X 
P-R-E-S-S.com. Got it. Thank you. Well, thank uh, you, Jenna, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you, Steve. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Show me the money! Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamamanyhats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Lucy and Cece's How to Survive and Thrive in Middle School. And the author is Kimberly Dana, and Kimberly joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Kimberly. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great, and you have a great, I guess it's like a calling in life. You love teaching, don't you? I love it. I love it. Well, we need all teachers to love it because great challenges, and you teach middle school, and you've turned middle school into a really fun place, it looks like, because your book is fun. Well, thank you. Let me read a little bit about your book so everyone understands what we're doing here. Uh, Again, this is a a very unique approach because in this book, we're going to learn about uh, two girls, Lucy and Cecilia, and she goes by Cece, but they have uh, have figured it out, right? For the most part. At least they think they have it all figured out. (laughs) They have it figured (laughs) out how to make middle school the best three years ever. And they're the experts. There's, well, at least they're the self-proclaimed experts. Right. right. <laughs> and they're going to, they're ready to, to demystify, as you pull it, put it, swirly urban legends and dish out about academics and social topics. Uh, they're going to keep it real. And, of course, they're going to have diary entries with their own daily escapades. So it's got a bit of everything that... Well, what would you expect from seventh graders? 
Absolutely. And sixth and eighth graders, um, I actually teach right now in a school where fifth graders are coming in. So even kids as young as 10 years old, I think, could benefit from the book. How long have you been teaching? Oh, my. I've been teaching for about mm, 17 years or so. Okay. And I've taught every grade. I'm secondary, so I've taught every grade from 6 to 12. But middle school is my absolute favorite. I just adore them. These two seventh graders swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and of course nothing but the truth. So help them, the good fairy of popularity. That's that's very well yes, put. Yeah, that, that's their <laughs> motto. That's their motto to their readers, and that's their promise, and they pretty much keep to it as well. But yeah, that's their their ultimate goal with the book: to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help them, good fairy of popularity. So what was the motivation to write this book? Uh, publishing a book is a big, uh, a big project. Uh, why did you do it? Well, as I mentioned, I've been a middle school teacher for over 15 years, and it's a challenging time for kids. I remember it being a challenging time for myself. And, you know, you're evolving. There are a lot of highs, a lot of lows. It's a time of self-discovery. You're neither a, a child or an adult. You're in the middle. So it can be confusing, and you have all these changes socially, academically, developmentally. So I thought kids really need a funny but realistic survival book that kind of says, hey, here's a big hug. You can do this. Um, it'll be hard and confusing, but it will also be a fun, exciting adventure, and you will not only survive, but thrive in middle school. So for the most part, uh, the ages from fifth through... Eighth grade, what are we talking about? Yeah, I would say so. Um, anywhere from 10 to 14 years old. And even though, you know, the two characters are girls, of course, I've had boys come up to me and say, I learned a lot from that, Miss Kimberly. It was really funny. And I learned <laughs> that how to take a test. And I learned that girls get scared, too, at the dances, you know. So <laughs> thanks for writing that. So even though, you know, it's kind of a girly book, my boys in my class, they love it just as much, and they're actually really grateful that I wrote it for them, too. Okay, let's find out about Lucy. Tell us about Lucy. Give, tell us what makes her tick. Okay, well, Lucy and Cece are the fictional narrators, and they're BFFs, and they are very different, if not opposite. Um, Lucy is a boy-crazy spaz, obsessed with her social life, Um she doesn't always make the wisest of choices. Sometimes she even goes destructo girl, as she likes to call it. And she'll do things like um, go for the most popular girl's boyfriend or ditch class or procrastinate on her science project. So Lucy's really trying to figure it all out. And the good thing about Lucy is she brings some depth and complexity to the book and she learns from her mistakes. So I didn't want to make all the characters, one-dimensional, goody-goody, because middle school isn't like that. There are a lot of different personalities, and so Lucy kind of represents that work-in-progress type of kid where they're learning from their mistakes, but they're a good soul. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think she realizes that to grow and to evolve and become your best self is what middle school is all about. You're learning. Yeah, you call her a VIP wannabe. And bound yeah, to make a fool always, of herself, too. It, you know, she, she really crosses, she, she gets out of the box, I guess, real, real easily. 
She does. Her big dream is to be invited to Candy Quest. That's the most popular girl. Candy <laughs> Quest's annual slumber party. She wants to be a VIP, and she really kind of self-sabotages because she does everything that she shouldn't to be friends with Candy, meaning going after her boyfriend. So Lucy, <laughs> you know, she gets confused, but she's, um, like I said, she's a fun time, and she's just trying to figure it all out. So. And then there's Cecilia, which we call Cece. Cece, mm-hmm. And Cece is a studious, quiet, shy, deep soul. Um, she's very, very bright, very shy, and she needs a friend like Lucy to bring her out of her shell a little bit because she's so into her studies. And Lucy does just that, but, you know, the girls now, they get into their little tiffs and this and that and the other, and that's okay because that's what BFFs do, but, but Cece grows a lot in seventh grade. She, um, she goes out with her first real boyfriend. And they actually go on a real date and with the permission of mom and dad. And she kind of just falls in love with this guy. And Lucy looks on and thinks, ah, I'm not liking this. I'm losing my best friend. And I used to be the one with the boyfriend. I'm the one who's boy crazy. But Cece really falls for Chase. And it, I won't tell you how to end. I don't, I don't want to do any spoilers. But um, she learns a lot about herself. And she gains a lot of confidence. And um, she also has... Cece has an eating disorder that she needs to work through as well in middle school. So she's so quiet and shy. She doesn't really share a lot of this stuff with anyone. So she has her own demons, and she, like I said, grows and evolves as well. Would most teachers think of her like the perfect student? Absolutely. On the outside, there's those perfect students that sometimes you have to watch closely because they put so much pressure on themselves. Right. So a lot of times yeah. internally, there's a lot going on. So she would be a, per- a perfect example of that. And sometimes she's the Uber nerd. The Uber nerd. Yeah. So she takes nerd and it's like on steroids, but she's really not. Um, she thinks of herself like that, but the other kids think she's kind of cool. And she dresses me and, um, you know, even the popular girls, they're kind of curious about her. So when they see her in the bathroom, they chat her up and are like, oh, you're that one girl who's better there as a paper. So even though she sees herself as just this complete geek, she's really not. Well, we got some great chapter titles here. Uh, us and <laughs> stuff, teachers types, how to have fun at lunch, how to pass a note in class, the 411, yeah. how to handle gossip, how to bring home the what? <laughs> Chapter 6, How to Bring Home the, what does that say? I think it's the A's. The A's, that's it. Yeah, the A's. How to Bring Home the A's. Well, um, you know, you you can see you're having a lot of fun, but these are very, uh, these are issues that they're very concerned about at this age. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell us about. Yeah, I mean, some kids. Go, no, some go. kids, you know, come in to middle school, they've never even held a locker or a locker combination and they don't know how to work it. Or they're really freaked out about having seven teachers as opposed to one. Um, there's just so much new territory, so that's why I want to capture most of the topics that kids are concerned about and try to help them along the way. So if we go back here to how to pass a note in class. Now, obviously, you don't want that going on, but that's something that goes on. (laughs) That's something that goes on, and that's what makes this survival guide different than others. 
that I've seen on the market. Most survival guides are um, do's and don'ts. Don't chew gum and don't do this and don't do that. Well, guess what? Kids do that stuff. And so that's why I wanted to make it real and authentic by saying, hey, if you're going to do this stuff, fine, but find a way to do it and not get caught and keep your grades up and, you know, keep it all intact. So because that's where Lucy comes in, because she's not ever going to not pass notes. She will always pass notes, and she will always try to chew gum in class. And so just getting the book, that element, kind of makes it real and funny and authentic. And then you have How to Get Your Groove at the School Dance, How to Give Stellar Speech When You'd Rather Hurl. I guess that when you'd rather throw up. I guess that's what you're saying there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that is terrifying, isn't it, for this age group? It, yeah, I think for most people. <laughs> but especially, I think, when you're young and your peers are staring at you and, you know, you have to give a speech. Yeah, that can be very intimidating. What is How to Ball at the Mall? What's that? Um, Lucy and Cece love to go to the mall, and it's just their, a chapter on a day that they spent at the mall and all the things that they did. And they actually, their older, they each have an older sister, which is convenient for transportation. So their older sisters drop them off, and they each have boyfriends, so they fight on them for a while. And then they went around to their favorite stores and <laughs> had, you know, snacks at the, um, at the food court. And it's just, it's, kind of um it's a rundown of their day at the mall and they both had a blast so and then there's one on how to ace a quiz or test uh how to ride the twinkie aka school bus i I guess well haven't they ridden the bus before now um they have but in middle school the twinkie as they call it takes on a whole different dimension because you are with your peers at the end of the day everyone's sugared up and ready to go home and you know, it just, um, things can happen on the bus, but maybe you shouldn't all the time. And so yeah. it was just some guidelines on how to make the time go by fast, have a little fun, but be safe. And what is the language of tween? How to talk tween? <laughs> how, how to talk tween. Well, anyone who's read my book knows um, Lucy and Cece have lingo lessons uh, kind of scattered throughout with tell how to use words that are funny or, um, you know, specific to middle school. I just got to one here, a poser, um, lingo lesson poser. A poser is kind of like a wannabe, an affected, insincere person who pretends to be someone he or she is not. In other words, he or she rocks the style but not the passion. And then to use it, you could say, check out that poser, skater, punker dude. He doesn't even like Green Day. So it's to help kids use the new lingo that they might come across correctly and to have confidence when they use it. So that's what talking to me is. Well, this book has 34 chapters, 34 topics, uh, how to survive gym, the sleepover, what's with homeroom, passion for fashion, how not to be noticed in (laughs) class, how not to be noticed in class. Right. (laughs) That's for the wallflower in class when you didn't do your homework and you'd rather not be called on. Ah, (laughs) yes. Those are are some uh, hints for that type of student. (laughs) How to get a teacher to change your... Yeah, how to get a teacher to change your grade, <laughs> how to get a boyfriend, how to hide gum in yeah. class. You got yeah. it all. Yeah, and here's the one on your locker. Breaking up is hard to do. I'm sure at that age, boy, it's a crusher. Oh, the worst. The worst. Yeah. 
especially yeah. when, especially when the word gets out. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, and everybody yeah. knows. Uh, what's yeah. with all those bells? Feeling a little dingy. Uh, yeah, how great BFF? Now, what does BFF stand for? BFF is best friends forever, which is what Lucy and Cece start out as. I will say they have a, a challenge in their seventh grade year. Their friendship um, gets tested. And I won't say, of course, what happens, but you can probably imagine that they make up. But, um, you know, you want to, BFFs are very important because when they're not your BFFs, they can be your BEE, your bitter eternal enemy, and you don't want that either. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to treat your BFF very gently and carefully. (laughs) Some more titles here, How to Fake Sick, How to Be Popular, The Guidance Counselor, a.k.a. Tween Whisperer. (laughs) (laughs) And downloading your cyber smarts uh, and the big project. So this is loaded with all kinds of fun tips. I guess adults would have fun reading this as well. I think so. You know, a lot of my um, colleagues and friends have taken a look at it and laughed and said, oh, I remember that, and that's so funny, and I love the homework excuses, you know. So, yeah, I think anyone could get a chuckle out of it. We've been listening to Kimberly Dana. She is the author of her new book, Lucy and Cece's How to Survive and Thrive in Middle School. Kimberly, tell us how to get your book. Well, Steve, um, there's many ways. Um, Amazon is carrying it, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. You can get it on my publisher's website, iUniverse. Um, I'm local in Nashville, so it's being carried at a couple stores here in Nashville. But Barnes & Noble across the nation will be carrying Lucy and CC and selected stores in the next month or two. So that's very exciting. Um, I always want to invite uh, readers to visit me on my author website, KimberlyDana.com. And that has information about the book. And then um, Lucy and Cece have their own interactive website at LucyandCece.com. And I think tweens, girls, and boys would think that the website is really entertaining and funny. So I encourage them to take a look at that as well. Sounds like a lot of fun and also real down-to-earth good advice. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.